This video is a great description of what it means to be a witness in biblical terms. And as usual, the Bible Project does not disappoint. It serves as a strong opening for our scripture today in Isaiah 8. Because what we see, one thing we see in Isaiah 8, are people being witnesses for Yahweh and why it matters. The people, as we know, are far from holy. The country is headed to exile. Much is unknown. But the Lord raises up witnesses to keep his truth, the hope of Yahweh, alive. We are here today because of the faithfulness of people. We are called to be living witnesses of the Lord wherever we are, no matter what hardship or consequence or evil is going on around us. This is a core truth of what we understand from Isaiah 8 today. Before we read the passage, let's just remember that last week we talked about how God relentlessly pursues all of humanity. No matter where people are or what they are doing, God shows up in various times to make his love known, giving every person a chance to know him. That is the story of God. But we saw how King Ahaz was not responsive to Yahweh. King Ahaz was threatened by the nations of Ephraim and Aram and turned his allegiance and his honor and his sonship to the king of Assyria, a ruthless and evil ruler. And God said, I will give you any sign, any sign you want, Ahaz, as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. And Ahaz said no, but God gave him one anyway, a child that would be born called Emmanuel, which means God with us a foreshadowing of our good and great Messiah, whose birth is the ultimate sign of God's faithfulness and proof of his persistent love. Was that a bubble that just went past me? Okay, good. Just making sure. Just want to make sure that I'm not really seeing things that that actually really happened. So today we're going to read Isaiah 8 in sections in order to see how God uses witnesses in those days before the Assyrian conquest of Judah. Time is running out, yet we see how some continue to proclaim the Lord's truth as they live in obedience before him. This is the first section, verses 1 through 8. Then the Lord said to me, Isaiah, take a large tablet and write on it in common characters, belonging to Meher, Shalal, Hash, Baz, and have it attested for me by reliable witnesses, the priests Uriah and Zechariah, son of Jeberechiah. And then I went to the prophetess, and she conceived and bore a son. And then the Lord said to me, Name him Meher Shalal Haz Baz. For before the child knows how to call my father or my mother, the wealth of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria will be carried away by the king of Assyria." Now, we talked about how in the last chapter, God said that a child would be born as a sign to the fall of these two powers that were threatening Judah, Aram and Ephraim, the northern kingdom of Israel and Syria. It's not exactly clear to scholars if this is the same child that is spoken of, but many think so. A baby would be born, and before they can speak in full sentences, these two powers would be no more. That is the sign God said would occur, and it happened. In 721, both the nations threatening Judah were conquered by Assyria. God told Ahaz they would not be a threat to him, and that happened. Now, there are four witnesses here that we want to pay attention to. One is the mother of the child, whom we take to be Isaiah's wife. Notice that she is not simply called by her name 
or Isaiah's spouse, she is called a prophetess. Do you love that? Because she bore the word of the Lord that was to be a sign for the people. The second witness is the child himself. His rather long name means quick to plunder, swift to spoil. This child's life is a testament to the holiness and the might of God. Here we see God's power both now and in the future. God has foretold what will happen, and when it happens, he wants people to know that it was from him. And in order to accomplish this, God tells Isaiah to get a tablet and write the name down, write the name of the baby down in the presence of two other witnesses. And we think, oh Lord, how clever you are. Because it's like when we play a guessing game, right? Where one person says, oh, I know the number that you are going to say out loud. And in order to prove that they know your mind, they write it down and they give it to another person so that when you say your number, it will be shown that they did indeed know if they indeed do. But what is happening here in Isaiah is so much more than a clever parlor trick. This is God knowing and directing history using two priests as witnesses. The priest will give evidence of God's actions before the child is born, before the prophecy comes to be true, showing how Yahweh can be trusted. The priests are called reliable. Think about that. God sees the heart of everyone. God knows who will honor him. God knows who will speak truth and then chooses them to be his witnesses. Now we know that God still gives words of knowledge before something will happen as a way to encourage or warn people of certain realities coming to them. Just this week, I was talking to a friend of mine, and years ago, God had given her a picture for a friend of hers in her life. And this friend of hers was hurting and lacked hope. And so my friend spoke, I got this vision that God gave her for her friend, a beautiful image from the Lord of what this person's future would hold. And this week, many years later, that friend called my friend who hadn't remembered it because it was from the Lord to tell them what you prayed over me came true. My friend was so honored, gratified to the Lord, grateful for the Lord's faithfulness. We serve a living God. We know we have missionary friends and God warns them of evil and says, don't go there, don't do that, do this. Know who to trust, how to act. There is no past or future with the Almighty. He is not bound by time as we are. So God makes the future that we cannot see known in profound ways if we are paying attention. If we have eyes to see and ears to hear. Sometimes people say, Pastor, God doesn't speak to me that way. But that doesn't mean don't believe that. That means pray, Lord, show me, show me, God, what it is that you want me to see and to know and to do in these days that we live in. Because God wants us to be prepared. God wants us to give testimony of his glory. This week, my friend was able to be a witness of God's promise in the lives of those who trust Jesus. And it was a beautiful moment for her and for her friend to see God in action. Second section is verses 5 through 8. The Lord spoke to me again. 
Because this people has refused the waters of Shiloh that flow gently and melt in fear before Rezin and the son of Ramallah, therefore the Lord is bringing up against it the mighty floodwaters of the river, the king of Assyria and all of his glory. It will rise above its channels and overflow all of its banks. It will sweep onto, into Judah as a flood and pouring over will reach up to the neck and its outspread wings will fill the breadth of your land, O Emmanuel. At this time, Jerusalem was one of the most secure cities in the region. But it was not built on a major waterway or river like other cities and had to depend on various water sources, most of which were outside the city walls. There was a spring called Gihon, which, and the water came through a channel called the Shiloh. And so when Isaiah starts talking about this, they could see in their minds the gentle river flowing through the city, a body of water that the inhabitants depended on. The mighty river here, just called the river, is the Euphrates. That's going to sweep away the other two nations and engulf Judah. This is the major waterway for Assyria. So here God is using imagery from nature to teach truth, just like Jesus does 700 years later. And the metaphor of the two rulers juxtaposed is this. Yahweh is the softly running Shiloh. And the king of Assyria is the powerful Euphrates, who's going to come and sweep everything away in all of its glory. And Judah is going to be up to its neck in water and will survive, although barely, and the other two nations will suffer a worse fate. What stands as a witness here? The humble water of the Shiloh River. And we think about how God comes as a small baby. We think about how the Lord values a little amount of money that a lowly widow can give. How Jesus teaches that the last shall be first and the kingdom belongs to those who are poor in spirit. In our lives, we're often enamored with the big and the brightest and the best. And God would call us what is to seek what is not necessarily honored in this world. God would call us to seek and work through the vulnerable. That we would be vulnerable to the Lord and thus give witness to how his power is made strong in weakness. The third section is 9 through 10. Take notice, you peoples, and be dismayed. Listen, all you far countries. Gird yourselves and be dismayed. Take counsel together, but it shall be brought to naught. Speak a word, but it will not stand. For God is with us. Here, Isaiah takes a, a quick aside to talk to the countries who would attack Judah. The witness here is the dismay. The dismay that the countries who would attack Judah feel because they cannot conquer God's people completely even though they try. The Hebrew here is actually stronger than dismay. It actually means shattered. Be shattered, Isaiah says. Be shattered, all you enemies of the Lord. You can try to come together to try and attack, but Isaiah says it will be for naught because God is with his people forever. Even as Judah is being disciplined, Isaiah speaks the promise of Emmanuel that God will never leave their side and they will need this promise over and over again through the generations. We need this promise. 
fourth section, verses 11 through 16. The Lord spoke thus to me while his hand was strong upon me and warned me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy, and do not fear what it fears or be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall regard as holy. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. He will become a sanctuary, a stone one strikes against. For both houses of Israel, he will become a rock one stumbles over, a trap and a snare for the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many among them shall stumble, and they shall fall and be broken, and shall be snared and taken. Now, this is a unique part of the passage. This is the only time in the book of Isaiah that God speaks this way to the prophet. And Isaiah reports how God's hand was strong upon him. And we picture Isaiah being held in order to listen closely to what Yahweh is saying. We hold on to someone, don't we, when we want to make sure that they understand that we are serious God is saying, do not forget this next thing that I am going to tell you. And Isaiah remembers not just the words, but the extraordinary weight of God's presence upon him as these words are spoken. Now, the witness here is God's consistent and reliable truth being lived out in the land of lies, in the land of ongoing drama that distracts from the true way to walk in life. And God exhorts Isaiah to not follow the way of the people who are steeped in the intrigue of conspiracies. Now, we might imagine that there are people who don't like Isaiah because he tried to go to the king and tell him not to build a coalition with Assyria. Some people might see that as treasonous. And because Ahaz is an unstable leader who puts the whole country underneath another power instead of Yahweh, the people are probably wondering what's going on. So there are probably whispers and speculations across sections of society. Clearly, there's talk of conspiracy, and God is warning Isaiah, stay out of it. Now, we know that conspiracies happen because people lie. We know conspiracies happen because leaders in authority have sought to steer people the wrong way for centuries in order to distract from their own evil ways. Conspiracies exist because we have overactive imaginations and because we tend to think the absolute worst of those we disagree with and believe strange things reported about them. In our day, conspiracies exist because in the age of the internet, anyone can be an expert and anyone can twist the truth and then it goes viral. Now, I have no idea where you stand and the different conspiracies that are out there, even from many, many years ago to today, happening in various places. And it's not my job to join the political or the cultural or the societal fray of certain camps over others. But let me tell you what my job is. It's my job to urge you to seek God first and to seek his truth and to remind you that we are to be more occupied with uncovering what God would have us know as we discern between what is good and evil and what is eternal and temporary. It is my job to remind you that we are all biased in ways that we cannot see. 
against people who are different than we are and those that we disagree with, even when we think our motives are clear and we love everyone. And it is my job to tell you that we have to keep learning and growing in a healthy, God-honoring community and taking daily time with Jesus because this is how the Spirit transforms us, transforms our minds. Conspiracy is a work of the mind. And God says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you might know what the will of God is. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. My job is to tell you that we need to keep putting the Lord as the center instead of anything else that wants to displace him that will become an idol if we're not careful. Today, there are lots of Christians saying lots of things about what it means to be a follower of Christ. And sometimes we get mad. Sometimes we get mad when we hear the opinions and the leanings of people who honor the same Savior that we do. And people have left the faith and have left local congregations all over, over issues, because they don't think that they can sit in the same pew as people that they disagree with. And I understand it's hard to talk about things. I'm not always great at it, but we have to keep trying. Look at Isaiah. He's smack in the middle of the fray. And God tells him, you stay focused on me. And you tell the people, you stay focused on me. That is an important witness, isn't it? I recognize that we live in difficult times. Everyone has lived in difficult times. But divisions don't make us great witnesses. Actually, the opposite. And in addition, Isaiah is reminded how conspiracy is fueled by fear and dread. And God says, Isaiah, that is not from me. So we have to also continue to examine our fears before the mighty power of God who is never, ever afraid. The message here is that we should never be afraid of anything on earth. We should be afraid of the Holy One to give into the dramas of the day, to take our eyes off the sovereignty of God is not who we are. Because for God, truth and falsity are as clear as the noonday sun, and he will tell us what we need to know. It is we who are finite and susceptible. God is high and exalted, holy and perfect. And for those who revere the Lord more than anything else, Isaiah says, God will be a sanctuary. And for those who are steeped in the lies of the day, they will stumble and fall and be ensnared and be led away. So let us be people who are attentive to the Lord, not with any kind of human lens, but focus on the great I am that we might walk in his ways. Fifth section, last one, 16 through 18. Nope. Second to last one, sorry. I know. Bind up the testimony. Seal the teaching among the disciples. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. See, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are signs and portents in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. The witness here is Isaiah and the children given to Isaiah and the prophetess. They themselves are the signs who prove that God is real. And Isaiah says, I will wait for the Lord. We just talked about our actions. Now we talk about character. This could not have been easy for Isaiah, for any of the prophets at the time. 
Isaiah is talking to his neighbors and his friends, the people that he grew up with and walked through life with. This is his community. They have a deep place in his heart, and he is having to tell them very, very difficult things. Yet here is Isaiah saying he is going to keep being a witness. Even if those people condemn him, even if those people turn away, although exile is on the, on the horizon, Isaiah will be faithful to the Lord. I love this about Isaiah, that he will stand for Yahweh no matter what. I want this to be me and you and so many who give their life for the cause of the gospel, who give up their reputation and their home and their loved ones and their careers in order to follow God no matter what. Because life can change at any time. And Isaiah serves as a reminder that we need to be ready to listen and to follow and obey, ready to give up whatever we thought was important. Isaiah says that even though God's face is hidden from the nation, he will keep waiting in hope for the one who dwells in Zion. Last section, verses 19 through 22. Now, if people say to you, consult the ghosts and the familiar spirits that chirp and mutter, should not a people consult their gods, the dead on behalf of the living, for teaching and for instruction? Surely those who speak like this will have no dawn. They will pass through the land, greatly distressed and hungry. When they are hungry, they will be enraged and will curse their king and their gods. They will turn their faces upward or they will look to the earth but they will see only distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. These of whom Isaiah speaks are witnesses to destruction. That's the witness here. No one knows the will of God by seeking the dead. The demons in Jesus' time recognized him as Messiah, but goaded and tested him, working against him. The only authoritative source of God is God alone and what God has given us and revealed to us about truth. And here Isaiah says, after the people have consulted the dead, they're still wandering through the land. They're still in darkness. They're angry. They're mad. They're blaming. They're cursing. And in the end, there will only be darkness for those who continue this way. They blame. They cannot see the light. And it reminds me of the angel at Jesus' tomb, a very good witness who asked the women who came that first Easter morning, why do you seek the living among the dead? Jesus is not here. He is risen. Remember, he told you that. And then the women realize what the Lord had said. We serve a God of the living forever and ever, and so let us seek Jesus where he might be found. We end with a quote from Leonard Sweet. The strength of the church is not the strength of its institutions, praise the Lord. I added that part. (laughs) But the strength of the church is the authenticity of its witness. The strength of God's people is the authenticity of our witness. A witness in scripture is a person who has experienced the precious truth of God and has found that truth to be something beautiful and amazing. So let us be reliable and credible followers of God who bear witness of the radical love and transforming power of Jesus. 
more than any other kind of talk, let us declare the miracles we have seen and heard and experienced in our own souls. Let us not let darkness or pain of the world or unbelief or division stop us. Let us be the signs and the proof of God's life to everyone we meet. May we be genuine ambassadors of reconciliation as we speak and live out who Christ is. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.